Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to another audical analysis episode of The Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighborhood watchmaker, Rob Nudds, the friendly neighborhood jeweler, Alain Ben-Joseph, and our resident provocateur, David Vaucher. Gentlemen, we are going to be dicing up David's recent article, which employed our newest team member, The Real Time Show chatbot, who doesn't have a better name yet. If you have any suggestions, please drop them into us via any of the usual channels. David asked the chatbot that he's been training for a while on industry information some interesting questions about its opinion on the future of watchmaking, and we're going to pick out those most interesting answers, and we're going to take them in whatever direction we see fit as a trio. Welcome to the studio. David, if you'd be so kind, could you give us a breakdown of exactly what you talked about in the article last week? Yeah, so... uh Rob, Alan, great to be here. And uh, this is why I love working with you because you let me do crazy things like this. And uh, it was a very instructive uh, exercise to go through. So I know the three of us were talking before we recorded this and it was a very dry episode in a sense because you know there's a lot of predictions, there's a lot of data, uh, but hopefully we can make this really exciting for the audience. And as part of that excitement, I think clarity is going to be really key here. So I propose that we go through this in a couple different parts. So I think maybe we start uh, with the general watch industry predictions. Then we'll move into some of the more specific questions that I had. Uh, those were, you know, what the next Swatch collaboration is going to be. I think that's a fun question everyone's asking themselves. And then what are some of the kind of things we're going to see as a result of the Rolex Bucher acquisition? And if we have some time at the end, that, that's already a lot to talk about. I think we can get to some of the Zanier predictions that I talked about. Does that work for you too? It does. And thank you so much, David. Thank you for the fun article. As you know, I am uh, tumbling down the AI rabbit hole since 2016, um, mostly because I'm worried and very much intrigued. Uh, I was worried about singularity. Nobody uses the term singularity anymore. It's all about LLMs and GPTs. Um, so what I wanted to ask you before we kick off, just to set a framework for those that are also very much interested in these LLMs, these large language models, and these general um, purpose technology. So these these GPTs that we call. So you, you said that you've used several. The most famous one is by OpenAI. Um, so that's uh, ChatGPT. I actually use BARD, B-A-R-D, by Google a lot. You and I have been running some tests also together uh, the last few weeks on BARD. So you said you've trained the particular GPT you used for this article. What did you do exactly? Set a framework, please. Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, essentially, what OpenAI has, has announced is that they're going to have basically uh, an app store for their AI bots, and they call them GPTs, so GPT plural, basically. And the idea is that someone could take the framework for their GPTs and then give it some instructions and some training to come up with a personalized chatbot. So some of the examples I've heard used was someone uh, made one to kind of surf the web for a, a festival playlist and then turn that into a Spotify playlist. I've heard someone else has done one where you can upload pictures of what you're wearing and it'll kind of rate your, your fits and give you tips. In my case, it started out as something where I'd, I'd sold a lot of watches and uh, I, I wanted kind of an efficient way of coming up with a, a good sales listing. And one of the factors I was thinking of including was timing. So in other words, if you were going to sell 
your Rolex, for instance, uh, you can have the best listing in the world, but if the market is just trash, assuming you can afford to wait, maybe you should. And the, the chat GPT would tell you that. And so as part of getting that market timing, I had to feed it some data because a lot of these, well, I say a lot of these, OpenAI will tell you that their kind of fact base is current up until I want to say, is it September? It's either April or September. So maybe they've, they've updated that, but it wasn't as current as I wanted it to. So what I did was I took a couple of pertinent recent releases. So in this particular case, it would have been, you know, Swatch and Blancpain. I also fed it some uh, industry information. So Bain, uh, the consulting firm, has a well-known luxury report. And based off of those types of data points, I had uh, a bot that was that had the kind of baseline capabilities of a, of a GPT, as well as the additional kind of very pertinent watch industry information. And it's off of that that I based the queries that we're going to talk about in this episode. Were you impressed by the knowledge of the LLM? Because I assumed you used chat GPT 3.5 and not 4 or higher, right? Uh, no, I used 4. Actually, I pay for 4 and that's what I used. Okay, interesting. Because I think that they say that the improvement of the training run of the LLM, so basically the pool of data that the GPT obtains its knowledge is five times bigger than 3.5. So it jumps from three to four, 10 times. So three and a half to four is five times I heard on one of these podcasts that I listened to. Did you additionally feed the LLM? Did you give it more knowledge? Yes, yes. So one of the stories that I, for example, that I fed in was that, so Hodinkee owns Crown and Caliber. They had done a round of layoffs recently, and I felt like that was a, an important piece of context that the model had to have because it, it's a reflection on the state of the secondhand market. You know, I think the, the general fact base is, is very good for just general queries. But I think that for the types of predictions I was looking for, I really needed the most up-to-date information possible. And so those type, I mean, the other thing I should mention is you can, right now it's got a 10, a 10 file uh, limit. So if you try and upload more than 10 files, it won't save. So within the limitations of those 10, I kind of made some choices as to what would be the most important to feed it and made my, uh, made my queries off of those. Last question, and then we'll dive in. Did you think about giving this article a spin or a future article, what these AIs will do to the watchmaking industry. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the, the I tell you what, uh, if someone wants to hire me to help them answer that question, uh, you know, my, my TRTS team will be happy to come in and do a study for you. But I think that's the, that's the billion dollar question, right? Because, you know, theoretically, anything a human can do, an AI can do. Now, is that the reality today? No. It is not. But I would think that in five years time, we're going to be in a very different space. So whereas now, I would not feel comfortable if you or Rob asked me to produce something for you, uh, I would not feel comfortable just putting that into a prompt and turning it into you because it, it, it doesn't work that way. But at the same time, it is an extremely, it's like having an extremely competent analyst working with you. So it just makes me more efficient. It helps me be more creative. And it helps me think of things that I wouldn't otherwise have. And, and we're going to share some of those instances with you over the course of this article. Before we get into that directly, I just have one more question. And it comes exactly from something you just said. I agree entirely that if I were to term what 
AI can do now and what I see it being best at in the future is this analytical role where it can just process huge amounts of data and pull together solutions very quickly on paper. But do you really, really believe? And that's not, I'm not trying to rubbish that belief. I'm asking because I struggle with it so intensely on an extremely existential level that theoretically anything a human can do an AI can do as well. Or I suppose ultimately the suggestion would be, or the implication, the heavy implication that it could do it better. I mean, the, the provocative answer is, is yes. And, and I, I, I have the same sort of cognitive dissonance that you do, Rob, because on one hand, I don't want to believe it. On the other hand, the progress these models make is exponential. So four, like Alan said, is a multiple of three and a half. Five will be the same. Six will be the same. So let's say you get to 15 or 20. You know, what are we at at that point? And it, and it sounds unbelievable, but I think there's a lot of things that humans do now or possess now that would have been unbelievable not so long ago. So um, I don't know that it's always going to be 100% AI will replace humans, but I'm more on the side of, yeah, like this is coming. My problem with that is, and the math stacks up, you're right, it's an exponential increase of ability, but it's already pulling things that already exist together. Yeah. Now, you could argue that real human creativity is actually no different. We just maybe through our hubristic view of humanity's superiority to everything else, that we actually conceive things from nothing and that real new ideas can exist. Maybe it's a there's certainly a big philosophical discussion to which there's probably no absolute answer. But for me, yeah, could an AI design many of the watches that have had success in the last few years and watches that we've discussed ad nauseum on the show before, watches that draw from existing designs and put together the, the best bits, as it were? Yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense to me. But can an AI sit there, put all of that information together and come up with something that is absolutely conceptually new maybe there's no difference between me and my life and what i've seen and what i've learned and what i've practiced than a machine that is that well trained and that capable of pulling together all the information in the world but it still feels different yeah i mean i think this is I, i'm going to be a little bit well i'll be provocative here and say you know uh, a lot of people in Switzerland are going to say, you know, AI will never replace us. And that's fine. Like, I I'm not trying to argue that point. But if you look at some of the watches that have come out recently, uh, they look like the opposite of an AI has been used, right? It's like a straight up photocopier, you know? So as consumers, you know, maybe AI wouldn't be such a bad thing if a totally new concept were at least proposed internally of one of these brands. And then someone said, hey, this is actually kind of neat. Let's run with that. And so rather than being an AI alarmist, uh, I would like to think, and this is what I did with this article, right? Or at least this is the version 0.001, is say, this is not a replacement for me in this case, but this makes me work better. And I think in nine times out of 10, I've used an AI so far, that has been the case. So I think maybe that's the frame of reference that we should work with. Because I definitely don't want to turn anyone in Switzerland, say, if you're listening to this off, you know, this is not coming after your job. I think I'm just trying to make the case like this could be helpful, open your mind and, and make you think and experiment with some new things. Well, you know what? It is coming after some jobs in Switzerland. But the interesting thing about that 
is that while it may be great for analysis and even perhaps one day design, what it can't do at this point is execution. Yeah, The watches can't be finished by AI. There is no artisanal element to oh. AI yet. And so could we actually be in a situation where in, this would be funny actually, maybe actually this should be better for the world, but in five or 10 or 15 years, and I guess it may not even take that long, the rate things are improving, but could we see a situation where it is the artisans that really benefit from this and their jobs become far, far more important to the industry than the top paid executives and the designers, the faces of the brands. Could we be in a situation where the watchmaker is absolutely placed front and center? This, this is, the, the, if you, you know, anyone that's worked in a, in a big company will, will know this tension, right? Like engineers will say, you know, sales is always riding us, but without us, there's no product. And sales will say, yeah, but we sell what you make, right? And I would say that, yeah, I mean, if, if you, I have been shocked so many times by the things that AI has suggested to me. So if I'm a CEO in a brand, uh, yeah, I think I would be a little worried because that work can, to an extent, be outsourced. But as far as I know, you can't outsource, you know, anglage at the moment, maybe in 50 years time, but uh, you can't do it now. So and the other thing, just real quick before we actually end the predictions, I would say, you know, Rob, to your point, if I'm an independent, this is a good thing. Because if I'm an independent and I want to focus on making watches, uh, this may be something that allows me to do that. I can outsource all of the, the kind of bread and butter business stuff to something else and let me focus on the watches. And so maybe that's a prediction that we're making for the next, you know, five, 10 years time is more growth and independence as enabled by AI. So nah. That is heartening. Yeah, that is actually a very nice way for me to look at it. Not that my opinion matters to anyone but myself on this matter, but it makes me feel a little safer, shall we say. Okay, we could probably have an entire episode about this and maybe we should after we've given the chatbot a few more rollouts because we definitely will. Uh, he, she, it, they is going to be part of the team going forward. And yeah, we really should name them, I suppose, and uh, bring them back to play even more, especially as it gets smarter and smarter and smarter. Okay, David, break us down the first points we're going to be discussing. Okay, so I, as I said, I, I think, and this is really kind of, it ties into what Alan said, because you can't just ask it, what are your predictions? You, you really have to kind of work down to what you want. And a good illustration of that are the general predictions I asked it. So I would Let's cover those. We'll just kind of all see what we think. And then let's kind of move down as the queries change. So I, I basically asked it, you know, the, the question I had was, uh, what are your predictions for 2024? So I'm just going to list them. I've got the text in front of me. There are 10. So I'm going to list the main bullet points. And then, uh, you know, Rob, you and Alan can kind of let me know what you think. So stabilizing luxury market, that's number one. Growth in emerging markets. Uh, with India listed in particular, that was something that the Bain study uh, picked up on. Sustainability and ethical sourcing, that's number three. Smartwatch integration, or rather increasing smartwatch integration, that's number four. The rise of ind independent brands is number five. Number six are, is, is the increasing use of digital and omni-channel sales. Number seven is the vintage and pre-owned market uh, which is expected to, main ro to remain robust, according to the, the bot. Number eight is customization and personalization. Uh, that one to me was interested, interesting. I think we'll get to that later. 
Number nine was Swiss, Swiss watch exports, which this predicts will uh, continue their growth trajectory, but at a more moderate pace, because I think 2023, I think might have been a record year uh, in Swiss franc valuations. And then number 10, the impact of global economic trends. So I would say, before I turn it over to you two, uh, if you want to pick on one in particular, my feeling was they were, it was good. It was a good first start, nothing too mind-blowing for this first pass. So what do you two think? So I want to jump in before I do so on these 10 bullet points. Good job on the query. Regarding the takeover of jobs in the watch industry, I don't think we should be too scared. The ones that should be scared are the Excel managers, as I sarcastically call all these people without passion in the watchmaking industry, because it's all about the prompts and the queries. Um, friends of mine that work in the high-tech sector and the tech startup and the startup sector, uh, the biggest growing job and the newest job, so the youngsters listening that want to work in the watch industry but can't make watches, become a prompt engineer. I'm not kidding you. That's a new profession right now. There are all studies and university degrees on how to become a AI prompt engineer. So David, well done, because it's all about the art of right asking the right questions. Now, I'm in awe of what chat GPTs can do right now, because it's amazing how they aggregate the information, the speed they do it, and then revamp it into a nice package. So these 10 points are indeed not that shocking, as you said, David, because the feeling I get, it took the majority of the info from Deloitte's annual watch report. So for all of those that read it, it's not that exciting, but I think that your bot did a great job. Obviously, the most important thing it forgot was the trend of audio marketing. So the biggest trend on marketing in watchmaking are obviously these podcasts like ours, because you see that marketeers in Switzerland and all the watchmakers are very excited about what we do. And another thing that I miss, because the 10 bullet points are straight hits, is the collab trend. That's something that I'm missing, although you could summarize it under bullet point eight, which is customization and personalization, technically. What do you think, Rob? I would be very interested to hear what it had to say about audio platforms and their development. When we started the real-time show, it was I think it was obvious to us that podcasting was going to be the next big media explosion in watchmaking. It's one of the main reasons why we decided to make it our speciality, but it certainly wasn't something that every brand or media outlet agreed with at the time. Many of them have since followed our path and the paths that were blazed before us, and I can only imagine that it has a way to go yet before it tops out and starts to fall back and, and find itself replaced by something else. Collabs, of course, very interesting to know what the chatbot would make of those specifically but i do think a lot of the a lot of the concepts behind them can be covered by customization and personalization but maybe not the commerciality of them long term we'll have to ask him that one in the special edition episode maybe when we have released our next collaboration which is on the horizon we should get the chatbot and we're calling the chatbot it david is that uh is that all right i struggle with that i think let's just we got we have to come up with a very cool name. So for now, let's just say chatbot. As a matter of fact, if any uh, listeners have suggestions, 
drop us a line. But I, I propose we say chatbot until we have a suitable name. Okay, but in the meantime, perhaps you can ask it what its pronouns are so that we don't fall foul of that. Because obviously at some point, the chatbot is going to is gonna have its own profile, I guess, and it's going to have its own you know place on the website. So you're going to have to ask it. Do we call it he, she, it? All right. So I, I propose let's say it for now, and I will make a note to myself to ask it for the next time. And then we'll- uh, We should never assume. Just ask. We'll go with their preferences. Yeah. Okay. We'll go with whatever they decide. All right. So the chatbot, uh, our chatbot, our little buddy, I have a soft spot for it already. It really is like a friend in some ways. Listening to you telling me exactly what it said when you asked it was like, listening to you recount a conversation with somebody that you knew and somebody that had some interesting takes on it. Okay. So David, pick us a point to really uh, analyze right now. I think we have kind of covered, okay, first pass is sort of generic. However, uh, Alan raised the point, uh, actually you and Alan raised the point of collaboration. So let's go to that because I think where these chatbots do much better is, and, and this is kind of proof that it's not just about having a chatbot. It's, it's a helper that will be a tool for those who know what they're doing. And so I then said, okay, I think I know the industry pretty well. Let me ask it the things that people would be interested in hearing about. So let's pick on that collaboration aspect that did not show up in the initial pass, but which I then asked it. So I said, okay, and this is the exact query that I, uh, I used. Keeping in mind the Swatch collaborations with Omega and then Blanca more recently, do you have any predictions for what Swatch Group may, brand might be next, perhaps in 2024? Now, regular listeners will know that we have already talked about this. We made our predictions. But let's talk about this now in the context of what the chatbot said. So I'm going to read a, a portion of the answer and then provide some commentary before turning it over to you. So it says, and I'm quoting here, I'm basically reading exactly what it told me. Uh, given the strategy of the Swatch Group, it's plausible to predict they might select another one of its prestigious brands for a similar collaboration. Key considerations would include brand prestige and iconic models, market trends and consumer demand, and strategic brand positioning. Given these factors, some potential candidates for 2024 could be Breguet, Glassuto Regional, Jacques Hedro, and Longines. I'm going to make a comment before I turn it over to YouTube. And that's that I was still not very satisfied with this. And I'll explain why. I thought it was a very interesting first go, still not satisfactory. What do you both think of uh, what was output based on this uh, this query? I found it very, very interesting, especially because Rob and I discussed this in one of the episodes. I believe that was that game that we had to uh, pick 10 watches from a particular group. And we started with the Swatch group. So... I found it very interesting what it, because I'm sticking to it, Robin David, our little uh, chatbot, we could call it maybe TRTS1, so Generation 1. But I don't think it's going to be a legend diver. I think it would be awesome if they would, but they're not going to do another dive model, definitely not their third plastic swatch group model. So it was interesting because I think Breguet was mentioned a bit, but it went with the uh, Legend Diver by Longines. And it is actually quite interesting that they revamped it recently, Longines. So um it's it's cool. And but but we need to understand what the reasoning is of TRTS1, of its reasoning or analogy. So 
for those that don't understand how these AIs work, you give it data, they do training runs, so they analyze all the data they, that they're fed, and they base all their results on that data. So it's obviously subjective. So I guess that TRTS1 was fed, well, 10 articles by David and extra data from um, chat GPT 4.0, which I believe it runs data till 2022. David, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, this is where I keep, I think an earlier run was April, 2023. I think it's up to September, 2023 now, but I'm, I'm not sure. Interesting. So obviously it will categorize blogs, for example, that have authority and then rank all that data from there. So it pulls probably all the predictions published online and then assumes it. it doesn't have a will of its own or a vision of its own. So our dear chatbot um, is not in uh, a, a glass bowl or a magic bowl or in, uh, or Pandora's box for that matter. So that's my two cents. Rob, what do you think? Yeah, I reckon that the best way to put it is it's the aggregate of existing opinions. So it knows that it has these options to choose from and it's mined the web to find previous references to those potential forthcoming models. It's good that it didn't trip over its own feet here and offer us stuff from Blancpain or Omega again, that it eliminated those, that it had only Breguet, Glessiter, Reganal, Jacques Hidro, and Longines. But I guess the purpose of this part of the conversation is to look at those predictions and say how likely do we think they are. And of course, we touched on this in the previous episode in the game when you brought up your vision for a bioceramic Hamilton khaki field. And I was less convinced because I didn't think that the price differential made sense. And I was very much for an Omega Seamaster 300M, which is, of course, another diver. So the second diver, as it would be in this bioceramic series. But I don't think there are, firstly, icons in these collections that have a broad enough general public position to do anywhere near what the moon swatch did and perhaps even less than the Blancpain Thrifty Fathoms achieved. I mean, Breguet, it's known for precious metals and high finishing and excellent movements. So it would you would assume that if you're going to do the Blancpain with an automatic movement, which of course is necessary for Blancpain's firm statement that there has never been a quartz Blancpain and there never will be, you'd probably have to follow suit with Breguet. Now, Swatch don't have too many mechanical movements to put into watches. They they could use just a 2824 or something like that, or they could take the auto work off something and just have a manual wind perhaps. But it would be a travesty to have that inside a bioceramic case and then Breguet on the dial. What are you going to do with the finishing? Are you going to do a gear shade dial and stick that into a bioceramic case? It doesn't match up. The reason why the Blancpain 50,000s perhaps was a decent subject to modify through the eyes of Swatch was because it was still a sports watch and because it was still designed to be used, whereas Breguet's are designed to be admired. Doesn't make any sell. It doesn't make any sense to me. Glasgow Regional, I would 
wager is barely known outside of the watch industry and watch fanatics. Jacques Edro, same story. Also, Jacques Edro's new brand direction, which sees the brand take on a higher price point, more customization, more direct interaction with the end consumer rather than building a collection with pieces from which anyone can go and choose. Longines is the most likely on this list. Absolutely. It's the most visible. It has ties to some sporting events, equestrianism. I believe it was the sponsor of Roland Garrosh, the French Open, um, quite possibly still is. I don't know if Rolex has taken that one over yet. So that could be cool. Like a Longines tennis-focused one, maybe bioceramic with some red clay from Roland Garrosh. That could be an interesting avenue to pursue. But maybe, maybe it's possible although perhaps stupid to develop an entirely new watch with a brand within the swatch group rather than picking an existing icon and levering it into this technology we've not really discussed that yet does it lose all of its power if it's not an existing and i say this loosely icon within a collection or would that be something you might see swatch and longines do so i think what one thing to to say before I answer that question, Rob, is and Alan sort of um, not gave the answer away, but astute listeners will will know that he said Longines Legend because after some additional prompting, that is what it suggested to me. The, the thing to keep in mind with these uh, with GPT four now, I don't know if this has to do with the tuning or just how they work, but I find some of the answers it gives are very non-committal, and so I actually said, okay, of that list of companies you gave me. Which, if you had to pick one, which would you pick? And to its credit, it said, I would go with Longines and I, I would go with the Legend Diver. It's not an absurd choice. Now, if that happens to be what comes out, uh, I guess I'm going to ask it what the lottery numbers are next because that'd be wild. But, uh, and, you heard, and you heard it here first on the real-time show. I'm going to say that. But to answer your question, Rob, you know, I could come up with an answer for that. But I think more pertinently to this episode on the question of should Swatch start kind of a new brand without leveraging an existing icon, you could ask the chatbot that. And with some prompting, I think you would get like a half-decent business strategy that you could follow. So I think the the question is, I don't personally know, but I could get you an answer in about 10 seconds asking the chatbot. And I think that's the power of these tools coupled with someone that knows how to ask the right prompts. So I wasn't necessarily saying, well, I wasn't at all saying that they should do a new brand. Uh-huh. Like, although that is also interesting, actually, that is interesting. I hadn't thought of that. So well done you. And let's see what the chatbot says. I was saying, could you take an existing brand like Longines is the example I was working with, buddy up with Swatch and Longines and Swatch create a new model together that could not be based on the existing icon, but maybe based on a partnership that Longines has. So let's say that they say, okay, we're going to make the watch for the French Open. We're going to base the colors on the clay and it's going to have like a green strap with purple stitching. And then they slap it on the wrists of all of their ambassadors playing in the French Open because it would actually be an ideal tennis watch, perhaps the best Longines tennis watch to wear while playing tennis because of its lightweight nature, because of its extreme accuracy and its durability under shock and duress. That might be possible. That might be a way they could take it. And one thing that saves 
Longines as an answer from the chatbot, I think, which was the problem I had with the Hamilton suggestion that we made on the previous episode, is that Longines price point has been skyrocketing as Omega has been moving up towards Rolex. Longines is one of those brands which is now separating from Hamilton. A few years ago, most of their collection was pretty much the same price point. Now Longines is getting a bit of separation and largely that's because of the spirit line, which to me, if you're going to pick a line in Longines would also be a candidate for a bioceramic, but it might be too new for that. So why not go with a whole hog and make something entirely new? Yeah. I mean, I think again, all things one could ask the chat bot, but I think the the general sort of summary I'd pull out from this, Rob, is that the answer that the chat bot gave to the original question was what, which was who might swatch partner with quote unquote, because it's obviously a portfolio brand, but you don't find Longines that outrageous, actually, which, you know, I say like point for the chatbot then in that case. You're absolutely right. I don't find it that outrageous. I find it the second most likely. Now, Alon, you just asked your version of chatbot exactly which brands Swatch is likely to choose next. What did it tell you? So I switched to Bard. Just it uses a different algorithm, different LLM. So on the current Bard, it came up with so i so the prompt is very important right so i asked what will be the next collab the watch brand swatch will make with a sister brand from the mother company swatch group so i won't read out everything that it said because it creates an essay first pick is certina dive model second pick is a longine but it went for a hydro conquest and this shows you that AIs hallucinate or are simply wrong or not aware. So they don't have the right info at hand because the third option it states is a collab with Omega, maybe a moon watch. So obviously I need to check up until when the bar that I'm using is updated, but apparently it's not aware that there is a moon swatch. So why did it pick Certina? It states here, a possible collaboration is Certina, a Swiss brand that is known for its sporty and durable watches. Certina has a rich history and innovation, and it would be a natural fit for Swatch to collaborate, etc. So you see that it's not all-knowing, and a tip for everyone that uses or is planning to use these chat gpts remember hallucinating means they make up shit they make it up so that that shows creative power um the best example is this american lawyer that the night before going to court had a bot chatbot create his rebuttal in court and made up jurisprudence so other court cases that never even existed so these AIs are able to do that. Keep that in mind when you use it, guys. Never copy-paste it. So, so that's interesting to see. I reckon Satina is a weird one also. Again, I know it's a global brand, but I don't think it has the clout necessary to make this an attractive collaboration. And their entry-level awesome pieces... The entry level in terms of the industry, they're not the cheapest pieces Satina do, but like the DS Phantom line is just incredible as it is. I think stepping down from a grand to 
a couple of hundred is not a big enough jump to make this as interesting as previous two collaborations. David? No, only just a, a comment. So Shane, it's interesting if um, if that brand were looking to be introduced to the rest of the world, because if I'm not mistaken, and Alan, you you most likely know this, they're not available in North America, right? Is that a Europe, European brand mostly? I, I think Certina is available worldwide. They're not they're not that wanted, so maybe retailers are not buying it. But as far as I know, there's no geographic limitations on the brand Certina. Yeah, I suppose that's another discussion. I mean, yeah, for for these swatch, and this is the swatch brand, watches to be popular, the 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 watch they collaborate with has to be popular as well. And I we touched on that when we discussed the Blancpain one. I think just taking it back to AI, um, Again, I just think, I mean, who, who would this have been possible 18 months ago? You know, we, we have these discussions and we plug it in and we get 90% coherent answers that we can debate intelligently afterwards, right? So I think that's the key is that ChatGPT said something, Bard said something, and rather than us tossing it out and saying, this is, this makes no sense, it's, it's a basis for a, for a discussion, right? And I think that's the incredible part. You're absolutely right. It couldn't have happened then. And who knows, because of the speed at which all this technology is developing, exactly how deep a conversation we'll be able to have kickstarted by our little chatbot in another 18 months. And as it becomes a more integral part of the show and the technology that you develop and we lean on to to, to inspire our debates, I am fascinated, as I always am in every episode, to see how it progresses. On Satina's note, is very popular in Scandinavia, particularly Norway. I think it's like the second most popular luxury brand in Norway uh, because the Norwegians tend to like hardy Gada watches, go anywhere, do anything watches. And Satina makes a fair few very good, very reasonably priced ones in that category. Okay, let's move on to another point, David. Let's uh, So let's move on to the stuff that for sure is going to get clicks and hopefully shares and, and forwards and all that. Let's talk about the acquisition of Booker by Rolex. And to, to be clear, and again, reset the, the stage, let's not talk about what we think this will mean, because that's been discussed. Other publications have written about this. We know it's going to be a big story. Let's talk about the predictions put forth by the chatbot for this particular news story. So what I asked it, and I asked it in kind of two different parts. I'll get to that later. But the first thing I asked it was, any thoughts on potential repercussions of the Rolex acquisition of Bucher? Are there any brands in particular you think might be more or less affected? And again, I'm just going to summarize the points that uh, were given. There are eight of them. Number one, increased market presence for Rolex. Number two, changes in retail strategy. And this one, uh, very interesting. And there's going to be more detail on that later on. Number three, shift in luxury watch retail dynamics. Number four, the impact on smaller and independent brands. Number five, potential for enhanced customer experience. This one, super, super interesting. Number six, uh, Rolex's sister company, Tudor. Uh, that one, I think, is an extremely uh, pertinent suggestion that was given. Number seven, possible market consolidation. I think that's kind of obvious. And then number eight, implications for online and omni-channel retail. So I think my comment to this when it came out was pretty good. Still still needs some more detail, um, foreshadowing what's going to come in 
the later in this discussion. But uh, Rob Allen, what did you think of this first pass? So very interesting. And again, good question. Very good summary. I'm impressed by the technology. But I believe these chatbots have a long way to go because it obviously took all the public information there is. And what I find more interesting is to do the part of the dark horse predictions that you did. That was actually interesting to see where it takes it. Now, in this analysis, and in your second part of your question was, are there any brands in particular you think might be more or less affected? And I believe you see that the bot was struggling to incorporate that properly. And it maybe should have been a follow-up prompt to the first one because you need to train your own bot, right? Also in the reasoning that you want it to give you answers. Um, so I don't have much to add here. What I do think that it really missed that when I was listening to the article, because as always, I listen to your articles instead of reading them, the articles that you read as the foundation for your article, is it does not touch upon Carl F. Bucher at all. I mean, you gave it a hint to talk about other brands. Carl F. Bucher is a 100% subsidiary of the retailer Bucher. It's put in the market as a separate brand. It's sold outside of the retail network, the Bucher retail network. So there are retailers that buy the brand Carl F. Bucher. It didn't talk about that. And, and hardly anybody talks about it because I believe I've said this on air on the Real Time Show. Is It's very interesting. And I think a hidden gem for Rolex, because basically now they have a third brand in their portfolio, and it's a third manufacturer, because Carl of Bucher has their own manufacturer calibers. So I find it very interesting what will happen there. And I believe our dear chatbot missed that opportunity. Yeah. And uh, just real quick, uh, Rob, before I turn it over to you for thoughts, I think credit where it's due, uh, I think Lex Stoke. Alan, I heard, I heard you mention he's one of your good friends, and uh, he wrote a piece on Fratello uh, reviewing the uh, Petravi and kind of asked that question, like, what's going to happen with it? You know, maybe it becomes the new Tudor as Tudor goes on market. There are some really good points, and that was the first time I had thought of it, which is uh, maybe a, a point in the favor of human uh, input here, because like you said, Alan, the bot didn't think of it. Someone knowledgeable about the industry did, and you put the two together and, and you get a complete fact base. But yeah, completely agree. I think the the question of Carlos Bucher is going to be an open one going forward. Very good point. Not something I'd really thought about either, to be honest. The fact that now we could say, at least tangentially, Rolex does have a third brand. And it's an interesting one because they have some beautiful technologies in there. I'm a huge fan of their peripheral rotors. I think that now Rolex has finally started opening the case back on some of the sportier models rather than just reserving that for their higher-end dress pieces. This is mm, tasty. This could be something. Yeah, this could be something interesting. I loved some of the stuff that Chatbot said about Bucherer editions of Rolexes. So you said you said tasty, Rob. I, I like where this is going because I use the word juicy. So let's talk about the juicy stuff. Now, what I wanted to get with uh, these these juicy uh, predictions was, again, more detail, right? So the theme of this is that you can't just ask an AI for something and get everything. You really have to kind of, like, imagine it's, it's a blob of clay and you're trying to shape down to the final piece or answer that you're looking for. So let's first start with the outtakes. 
because Alon touched on them. The outtakes are wild. They're definitely hallucinations. But I asked it just very uh, bluntly. Do you have any dark horse predictions? And I've specified unlikely, but still possible, preferably featuring Rolex, because that's what everyone cares about is Rolex. A couple of them, well, I'm going to read all of them, just the high-level bullet points, and you're going to see why this is a hallucination. So Rolex entering the smartwatch market. That was number one. Number two, collaborations with high-profile tech brands. Number three, retro revival of discontinued models. Number four, Rolex venturing into new materials. To its credit, they did use titanium recently, but I think it was talking about ceramic, things, things of that nature. Number five, launch of a subscription or rental service. Number six, Rolex embracing cryptocurrency. Number seven, introduction of an entry-level line. Number eight, Rolex's foray into experiential marketing. Not so crazy as we get to the really juicy stuff. Number nine, unusual brand partnerships. And number 10, Rolex's digital asset. So NFTs, uh, that type of thing. And the only comment I have there is that, well, two of them. This is why you need to train the chatbot because it doesn't realize how conservative Rolex is. Uh, and if it was using a fact base, I think it was cribbing off of Hublot's website. And no disrespect to Hublot, uh, I love them, but this is out of their playbook. So uh, funny stuff. That's really all I have to say on them. Uh, Rob, Alan, any, anything to add before we get to the crazy but feasible predictions? When would we ever disrespect Hublot on this show? Never. No, we don't. I'm so we love the brand here, but that's the only thing I could think of was like, did I spell Hublot instead of Rolex uh, by accident? No, I don't know. I don't know. You know what we're going to do right now? We are going to do something we've never really done before, and we're going to end this episode on a cliffhanger. You have read out questions that possibly within themselves and certainly your follow-ups to them could last us an entire second episode analyzing the chatbot's first attempt at being a team member. And I think it's done very well. So what we're going to do is we're going to round up here. We're going to open the next show with David addressing each of those points individually and giving Alan and I a chance to respond to them. And then we're going to get to the real fever dream stuff at the end of the previous article. So if you would like to comment on this show, if you'd like to give us some questions that we can put through the chatbot in the future, then please do get in touch. You can contact me via... Instagram, I'm there at Rob Nuds, R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S. Alon is there at A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. David can be found at D-A-V-A-U-C-H-E-R. You can contact either Alon or I via emails. That's Rob or Alon at therealtime.show via our dedicated Instagram account at therealtime.show or via the contact form on the website www.therealtime.show. I cannot wait to get back behind the mic with these two and chatbot to find out exactly what we make of the predictions for Rolex moving forwards. Until next time, stay safe and keep on ticking.